0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. We're here today at John Lear's home in Nevada. We have had him on as a guest twice before. He shared a lot about living life without envy, hate, or greed. He talked about what it's like for someone who has the professional experience to know for a fact that there is no way someone flew 500 miles an hour into the Pentagon on 9-11. He has taken on the government and come out and been honest about where he's at about 9-11, about advanced technology, space weapons, extraterrestrial intelligence, the secret government, the moon and its real condition, the moon landing, how the universe is endless, Saturn, the sun. If you're interested in new knowledge and if you're ready to have your world turn upside down, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome John Lear to the third interview with him live in Las Vegas, Nevada.
1: Thank you, Kim.
0: Thanks for being here, John. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks for being in your own house. Oh, okay, (laughs) Well, first of all, I would like to thank you for making yourself available today. You've done a lot of interviews. You've said a lot of things. And for a lot of people, it's very controversial. For some people, it's very exciting. For some people, it's both. In our brief conversation a few days ago when we met, We had talked a little bit about free will, and you said something very interesting about free will. And I wondered if you would share with the audience your perspective on free will.
1: There's actually no free will and no freedom of choice. Uh, We're put here on Earth for our souls to mature, and we're just acting out a script. And you have a path to follow that's already been predetermined. The time when you die is already written down, You can't vary that by running three miles a day, eating vegetables, watching your calorie intake, and all the rest of the stuff. When it's your time to die, you're going, and and you don't have a choice in that. I suggest that you live with integrity and without envy, hate, or greed, and as long as you're following the path... There will be no obstructions. However, if you're doing something or following a path that you shouldn't be on, it'll be made plain to you that nothing will go right. But if you're the following the path, everything will fall into place, and it'll seem like an easy time. Now, every day we are met with a number of challenges. And these are put before us specifically when you say, I sure had some bad luck today. It's not really bad luck. It's a challenge. And you will be confronted with these challenges every day. And your chore is to solve them with integrity and without envy, hate or greed.
0: You speak as if you know about the fact that there's no free will. So many of us are coming from the place that we have a choice about things because it certainly appears like we have choices about things. But what you're saying is that there's a blueprint that already comes with us into life.
1: Right. Free will and freedom of choice is a human fantasy. There is no such thing.
0: So are we automatons? Explain that then a little no, bit. No,
1: we're placed on earth for our souls to mature. And by maturing, I mean learning how to live with integrity. And without envy, hate, or greed. And we're given challenges to learn this. When we die, we are given a complete life review. And all the really bad things that you think are secret that you did in your life, it's all presented to you as long as all the good things. There's no judgment. It's just presented to you. And then you're inserted back into a newborn baby about three days old, and uh, usually they wake three days so that the baby is sure that they're going to make it, and your soul is put in there and you start all over again. Now, of course, this is reincarnation. Reincarnation is true. There's no doubt about it. And this happens until you learn to live with integrity and without envy, hate, or greed.
0: At this point in your life, you've done, was it 20,000 or 40,000 hours flying for the CIA?
1: I have a total of 19,000 hours, but maybe 1,000 for the State Department and uh, various government agencies.
0: Were you indoctrinated in a way, or did you fall in love with flying from your relationship with your father?
1: He didn't want me to fly. He wanted to be a professional, like an attorney or a doctor, and he kept telling me, well, if you're an attorney or a doctor, you can have your own airplane. And I told him, I don't want my own airplane. I want to fly for a living. And he said, well, that's just like being a bus driver. And I said, well, what's the matter with being a bus driver? And he just could not understand that because his goal in life was to make money. And so we just had a disagreement over that. And that's basically why I got left out of his will. Actually, I got $1 because that's the rule in Nevada. Your children must receive $1 in your inheritance.
0: How did that feel?
1: Great. I lived down in Van Nuys at the time and uh, I went to the Sky Trails bar down there and where all the pilots used to hang out and we had a poppers party for me where there's the reading of the will (laughs) and uh, I got a bunch of presents. There was a six pack of dog food and I got some (laughs) paper bags and all kinds of neat things from my friends.
0: Right now, ladies and gentlemen, while we're doing this interview, there's a darling dog, one of four darling dogs, and this one is named? That's Tigger. Tigger, who is a boxer, and Tigger is licking me and all over John and I while this is going on, so there's
1: definitely some
0: fascinating subtext. (laughs)
1: Tigger is my sweet. Long live
0: Tigger. Come on. There you go. You get the sniff. God, I didn't even know that about you. But didn't your dad teach you a lot of things about his profession and inventing and flying? And
1: Well, he, uh, were there some things? he tried to teach me some things, but they were wrong. And the two specific instances I remember is when you uh, set up your airplane for landing and you pull the power back, one of the things you have to do is put carburetor heat on because the airflow over the carburetor will attract ice. And when you put the throttle back on, you won't have any power because the ice buildup And he was giving me a lecture one day, and he said, you know, they always tell you to put on carburetor ice, but that's a bunch of BS. All you have to do is look at the head temperatures. Well, he didn't understand that it had nothing to do with the head temperatures. It had to do with the temperature of the carburetor inlet. And the other thing he told me is, uh, now, when you take off and you lose an engine, they always tell you not to turn around to land straight ahead. But you can turn around, you know, as long as you got the altitude. And he didn't understand that what they meant was if you're taking off and you have five or 600 feet, you don't have any altitude to make a 180-degree turn and get it back, so you have to land straight ahead. But he had a bunch of malarkey that he tried to teach me with. But fortunately, I had some pilots that taught me the real way to fly. Dan Arney was one. Clay Lacey was one. Boots Jennings was one. And from these guys, I learned from the real professionals how to really fly airplanes.
0: Do you feel that wherever your dad is now, he's no longer with us in form. Do you feel like he had his own life review and saw some of the things that you both had conflict about with each other and feels differently now?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. He had a review. There's no doubt he's coming back to earth for another try.
0: (laughs) Have you forgiven him?
1: Yeah, I forgive him because I know what this whole thing is all about, and this is my last trip to Earth, so whatever I've been doing in my life, I'm fortunate enough to have completed the program, and I don't have to come back to Earth.
0: Did you ever get a chance to talk to your dad about your perspective on extraterrestrials, on what happened in the moon? In other words, a lot of the things that you've come forward about. Did he already pass on, or did yeah. you get a chance to talk to him about any of this?
1: He died in 1977, and I only got interested in 1985, so we we never discussed this.
0: I want to talk to you a little bit about space weaponry. We're going to go a little bit from personal to space weaponry. And the reason I want to ask you about this is, in one of the interviews we did, you talked about there being 24 weaponized satellites.
1: Yeah, 24 orbiting weaponized platforms that are run by the U.S. Navy, plus two command platforms. They orbit around Earth, and there's no part of Earth that can't be controlled uh, using these weapons at any time of the day, 24-7, year in, year out.
0: When you say weapons, what do you mean? Because I don't understand it. What, well, what there's do you different mean?
1: types of weapons. Beams that we used to talk about, that's old hat. What we have today is a weapon that, that uses molecular disassociation. And uh, Is that
0: like a scalar weapon or is it different? A direct uh, energy weapon?
1: It's direct energy in that when you fire it, it reduces, let's say, concrete and steel to its molecular form. Whereas... When they destroyed the uh, World Trade Center two towers with this weapon, it turned them all to dust. There was very little metal and concrete left. There were no bodies. Just as a similar occurrence, when you destroy a building and you do it with demolitions, you have 14% of the building left. In other words, it's a controlled demolition, and the average wreckage left is 14%. So, 14% of uh, 110 stories is about 14 or 15 stories. But as you know, the pictures we saw of the World Trade Center, there wasn't even one story left. There was less than that. It proves that there was a disintegration of some kind, and it was actually molecular dissociation, and it turned the concrete and the steel into dust that was a maximum of 80 microns in diameter. And that's the dust that was all around Manhattan and was about three inches deep.
0: I understand that you've read Dr. Judy Wood's book.
1: Yes, it's a fantastic book. It's one of the most important books of our time, and everybody should read it. It's written by Dr. Judy Wood, who has her master's and doctorate mechanical engineering and various other degrees. She was very knowledgeable about 9-11, and she describes exactly what happens. Now, this book is 500 pages long. It has hundreds of full-color diagrams and photos which make it Absolutely an incredible book to read about 9-11. And one of the best things in this book is she does not take a position on who did it or why. She sticks strictly to the facts of what caused the destruction. If you are going to read any book this year, you should buy Dr. Judy Wood's Where Did the Towers Go? am not sure whether you can buy it, but just Google it on the Internet. And it immediately because there's a chance that it's so good that they may even take it off the shelves. So get it right now.
0: The interesting thing about that book also is that as you said, it just talks about the facts she doesn't take a position is that she goes into the forensic evidence of everything. She doesn't leave a detail out. Right. So I guess your position is that some type of direct energy weapon did hit the buildings. Absolutely. Why do you think it is that there's that there's such uh, infighting and wars in the 9-11 truth movement with respect to finding thermite and all that? Couldn't they both coexist? Does it have to be a fight in the movement about it? Couldn't they both coexist where maybe there was thermite planted or something like that? And there was a direct energy weapon because apparently the buildings were closed three days before this event and they were installing some type of electrical system for three days. And they had written to many of the people in the buildings that they couldn't come in three days before.
1: Well, that's possibly they did something, but it wasn't thermite. Thermite was originally used on railroad trucks, but it would be impossible for thermite to have been used in the World Trade Center simply because where would you use it? I mean, you couldn't put it on all 110 stories and change the rate of collapse. The the collapse was faster than free fall. So you're not going to have the thermite, Uh, provide any help. It just doesn't do it that fast. The only way you can provide faster than free fall or the, you know, the nine nine seconds that it, 10 seconds that it took to come down was disintegrated and it disintegrated in place. It didn't fall down.
0: You know how people were saying that for many weeks after, or even several months after there were hot spots where stuff was still burning hot. It wasn't on fire, but it was hot burning. Yeah. What do you think that was?
1: I don't think it was hot. They said that there's molten steel on the ground. There was none. The uh, firemen walking around had the regular boots, and the boots weren't smoking, and they didn't change shoes, so it couldn't have been that that hot. But as far as leftovers from the molecular disassociation, what happened is this is apparently one of the first uses that they ever used it at full power. Now, there's many uses that they used the weapon for. They did the Murai building. There's no way that... Timothy McVeigh did that with ammonium nitrate, and this was a test. As a matter of fact, you can take some of the pictures of the Murad building and put them right next to the pictures of 9-11, and they're identical as far as the destruction. It's obvious what happened, and the interesting thing is it's been 10 years now, and the people that used that weapon didn't understand that the method that they were using the destruction method that they were using was non-self quenching. so What does that mean? It doesn't put itself out. In other words, it's still going on. So if they tried to build anything on ground zero right now, it would just start to disintegrate. And they have tried to build stuff on there, and the steel and concrete just start disintegrating immediately. That's why they tell you that they're having design problems, they have union problems, and this and that.
0: They can't agree what's going to go up there, right?
1: That's not the reason. The reason is they can't put anything there because it immediately starts its own molecular disassociation because the process is non-self quenching. It doesn't put itself out.
0: Does that mean also it doesn't disperse? Is that what you mean too, kind of?
1: No, it's always, it's in the same area. Okay. Just in the same area. Wherever they pointed the weapon, it's like a fire that you can't put out. It's like, trying to put out magnesium. You can't do it. So that's one of the reasons right after 9-11, they started trucking in hundreds of tons of dirt to try and quench the process, but they couldn't do it. Even with the hundreds of tons of dirt that they brought in, they couldn't get this process of molecular disassociation to stop. And it still goes on today. So I don't know what they're going to do.
0: When you talk about who... Dr. Judy Wood does not get into that. She's a physicist and a materials engineer. But you do talk about the who. You're not uncomfortable to talk about who you think the who is. Why do you think the who is doing what they're doing?
1: Well, I think that our country was basically taken over by the Nazis and however ridiculous that sounds after World War during the at the end of World War II, we could not produce plutonium. We could produce everything else. Uh, and it's a fact that the Germans couldn't produce everything else, but they could produce plutonium. So they offered us the plutonium for the bomb to bomb Japan in return for allowing thousands of, of uh, Nazis to come into our country under Operation Paperclip. And Operation Paperclip was run by John Fuster Dulles, who was the Secretary of State. Alan Dulles was his brother, who was head of the CIA, and Eleanor Dulles, their sister, who was head of the Berlin desk for the State Department. And between the three, they allowed thousands of Nazis to come in, who immediately started forming NASA. And then they took over different companies, Bell Helicopter and several other companies, and they've been uh, marching towards complete control. And they're the ones that took the money that was supposed to go for the Apollo programs We never sent anybody to the moon. Nobody orbited the moon. Nobody went there. Nobody landed there. All that money, the billions, the $30 billion that was supposed to go to Apollo, went to the weaponizing of space. The first rocket that was sent up to start that program was under Project Aquila, or Aquila, however you want to call it. And they started building this 24-platform constellation of weapons, and that was in 1969 and so it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger until they control everything now and they use these weapons for their own means now why they specifically picked the World Trade Center it was because we need an enemy for all the military industrial complex to build weapons to fight now the Cold War was a complete hoax there was no war at all we were always allied with the Russians we were allied with them to get rid of the aliens that they call the greys it wasn't until the late 80s that they found out there was no way that they were going to get rid of the greys. So they decided to turn it on humanity itself uh, in order to reduce the population from 6.7 billion to 6.3 billion. The World Trade Center was just the beginning, and then the takeover of uh, Afghanistan The reason that went first is because we needed the opium in the Hindu Kush, which is in northern Afghanistan, which is a prime area. It's at the exact altitude, has exact temperatures that you need to grow the opium poppy. And the New York Times had an article that showed where the opium poppy in 2001 from Afghanistan was 5% of the world production. And in 2007, After we had taken it over and run it for six years, it constituted 95% of the world production. The reason this is important is because it produces hundreds of trillions of dollars of cold cash that they can use for their black projects without having to go to Congress on bended knee and get oversight on programs they don't want to tell Congress anything about.
0: How do you verify that what you're describing as the 24 weaponized satellites are real? Like, how do you know? How have you verified?
1: Well, you can go on thelivingmoon.com and go under space weaponry, and there's some pictures taken by John Walson, which many have said are fraud, but they're too complex to have been a fraud. And he uh, knows where these things orbit. And uh, who is taking- he? Tell
0: us a little bit about him.
1: John Walson. I don't know much about him. He's very good with photographing orbiting vehicles. He's taken a lot of pictures, but there's ten or fifteen. Of these different, separately different types of weapons. And you can look on these photographs and see the exact shape of the weapon and see that they are very, very scary, very lethal, and there's no doubt what they're using it for.
0: Let me ask you this How come, if as long as the extraterrestrials have been here forever and are in space as we are, why are they allowing space to be weaponized from your perspective?
1: Well, we don't get to go anywhere else. We're in a a prison planet. We can't go more than 500 miles orbiting because of the Van Allen belt. Talk about uh,
0: that, because you did talk about that on the first interview. But NASA, of course, on their website says that getting through the Van Allen belt is not a problem.
1: They have to say that, because they're saying that we went to the moon... And if we went to the moon, then then the Van Allen belt can't be a threat. But in fact, it is a serious threat, and nobody could live through it. There's no way an astronaut could go through it even fast and uh, get out alive. It just can't happen. Is that
0: because of the gamma rays? Yeah. So every single, and I've said this to you before, but every single flight as we know it, these astronauts are going to the International Space Station, not necessarily to the moon or anywhere else.
1: Let me answer that. It's possible that now we are going to the moon with the technology of what we've got with the aliens. But I've been going back and forth. First, I thought definitely we had been going to the moon and Mars. I thought we went to the moon in as early as 1962 and to Mars as 1966. And then a friend of mine showed me the landing tapes of Apollo 11, 12. 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And when I took a good look at these moon landing tapes, I mean, they're fake. Nobody landed up there. It was just ridiculous. So then I knew that the Apollo program didn't go, but it may have been another different program that went. So I'm not sure it's possible that there are some secret astronaut group that is up there on the moon.
0: Well, you talk about how the universe is endless. It's infinite. There's billions of planets and billions of beings from all over. You have no fear of death now, right?
1: No, I'm looking forward to a great time. Like I say, this is the last trip I have to make to Earth, and I'll get to go out and play with the adults in the universe. Now, I don't know what it is I did during my life. I don't consciously remember living with integrity and without envy, hate, or greed, but apparently I did, so I'm going to have a great time, and the universe is if you'll just imagine what your vision of heaven is, then multiply that exponentially by a thousand. And that's what it's really like out there. The universe is infinite. Our solar system is much different than we think it is. For instance, we know of nine planets and there's actually 30 planets. Some are intentionally hidden from us, some we just haven't discovered. There's all kinds of things out there. For instance, all of our planets in our solar system And their moons or satellites are inhabited by either people just like us, but far more sociologically and technologically advanced, or some type of uh, alien species, or many types. But everything is inhabited. For gas giants that they call, there's no gas giants in our solar system except for NASA. And uh, they're the only...
0: (laughs) Repeat that.
1: The only gas giant in the solar system is spelled N-A-S-A. The others are uh, planets, many of them similar to ours.
0: You're hysterical.
1: And uh, lots of people live there. Venus is not 800 degrees centigrade on the surface. The people live there just like us. One of the things we're fed is that the surface temperature of the planet is inversely proportional to the distance from the sun. In other words, the farther away, the uh, colder it gets, or the nearer, the hotter it gets. That is not true. The sun is not a fusion reactor or have anything to do with fusion. It's an electromagnetic sphere, and it puts out an electromagnetic wave that is modified by the atmosphere of the planet. Now, our temperature here is roughly 72 degrees. On Venus, it's roughly a little bit more, 76 degrees. Mercury is not hot enough to melt lead. It has people that live there, and it's very nice. And the same thing with Pluto. It's not like living in a refrigerator. It has a nice temperature, and there's lots of people that live there. And the sun itself, there's at least 300 different types of alien beings that live inside the sun. And as hard as that is to believe, that's just one of the things that is true.
0: I want you to talk a little bit about Norm Berglund. You had shared how one day you were talking together and he was sharing with you a little bit about holographic technology and how a plane just appeared above him and then boom as if the lights are off. But I wanted you to share that. And then I wanted you to share about his findings out of which he wrote his entire book about. And I know he's later right now in life, but talk about him.
1: Yeah, Norman Berggren, I met, somebody recommended the book Ringmakers of Saturn, and I bought the book. It's a book about Saturn and the spaceships that he found floating in the rings. Now, Norm Berggren was an engineer for 20 years with Lockheed Missiles in Space, and several other different companies i mean his resume stretches on to five pages and all the degrees and all the places he's worked and all the awards he's earned and in 1986 after he retired he got a hold of some voyager pictures from voyager one and two that showed very detailed pictures of the rings of saturn and he started looking at these pictures And found these vehicles. There's three that he talks about. If you buy this book, it's called Ringmakers of Saturn. In there, there's color pictures where he shows you these vehicles. The largest one is 30,000 miles long and 2,400 miles in diameter. Now, what they're doing there, we don't know. But they are there. And whenever I go to San Francisco, I always drop by and see him, and he's always got something interesting to say. His latest book was going to be on Yapitus, but I don't know how he's doing on that. Now, the last time I saw him was just after I got interested in 9-11. And one of the issues was... Did they use holographic images to fool people that planes were crashing into the World Trade Center? Because no plane crashed in the World Trade Center. There's not any evidence that they did. There's no parts lying around, nothing with any uh, parts numbers that could be matched to the airplane. So one of the things I proposed, it might be a hologram. And when I told him this, he said, well, you might be right, because one day I was going to work. He lives in Los Altos Hills, and he was driving down the Bayshore Freeway, and It was with a friend and it was early in the morning, like about eight o'clock and they saw a big shadow and they looked up and here's a 747 type airplane about 200 feet above the freeway and they could (laughs) not believe what they were looking at because a 747 wouldn't be that low on approach to San Francisco, which is 30 miles away (laughs) or San Jose, which is a substantial difference. And they're looking at this thing and then all of a sudden it just went out. Like as if he turned off a light switch, and so he said that was my introduction to holographic images. So Johnny said, if holographic images were used during nine eleven, it could have been that. It turns out that I'm tending towards the fact that nine eleven was strictly video fakery, and that they didn't use holographic images or have to use them. But so uh, you
0: shifted a little bit about how you see it or how you're sensing what happened. Right.
1: But the thing is, when I brought up holographic images, there was such a gigantic hue and cry and people trying to discredit me and saying, oh, it's ridiculous. You know, it was just like a government operation trying to discredit the fact that holograms were used. So I didn't know whether they used or not, but they certainly didn't want us to think that they could have been used.
0: I invited a gentleman on the show who had just released this latest thing. He talked about this latest advance in holographic technology and in the show I said to him how advanced do you think this is? I mean this is supposedly the most advanced we have now. And he said well this is pretty much as far as we've gotten and I said you know the patents tell us a great deal different that there's cognition about using holographic technology in a way bigger sphere than the universities currently have access to. I'm sure if patents were filed 20 and 30 years ago that it's already in use somehow, some way.
1: Well, we were using it as far back as 30 years ago and possibly even further because I had some friends in the agency that told me that when we were having problems with Cuba, what we wanted to do was project an image of the Son of God there out in the ocean and have him tell them something. I don't know what the deal was, but they had the technology (laughs) back then, and they've certainly had it for at least 30 years. The Japanese now have what they call 3D holographic images where you can touch the images and and actually have tactic feel to it.
0: Wow. I know that you've been vigorously watching the details in Japan, and and I know that over the last month that we've spoken briefly about what you think caused it, and I wanted to know if you wanted to talk about that.
1: I don't really know what caused it. You know, at first I thought that one of these orbiting weapons could have caused it, but if they did, I don't think they could have imagined the problems it caused unless they were trying to reduce the population of the world down to the alleged half a billion people that has been rumored around. But if in, if they did it, yes, they certainly are doing a good job with their plan.
0: Whether it was organic or synthetically induced, the fact is that we do have other options available for producing energy and using energy. And I wonder, do you think that we will see any of those inventions or capabilities and applications that are different than wind, maybe different than renewables as we know it, that are more advanced? Do you think we're going to get anything from the secret space agency? Are we going to get anything from the powers that be that they have access to? Even appetizers? Anything?
1: Not in our lifetime. Maybe later. But Earth is a war-based planet. Always will be a war-based planet. Was a war-based planet and always has been war-based plan and nothing's going to change that so
0: why do you sound fatalistic about it you sound very emphatic that it is that way why
1: well that's the reason earth exists is uh, but
0: it's so beautiful
1: yeah and there's a lot of beautiful things and not everybody that's here is a bad guy but there are some guys that are here that are in prison the reason is is because they're pretty bad guys and they're the ones that end up in control of the rest of us now the rest of us our problem is not to get those bad guys out. Our problem is to take care of ourselves. It all begins with each one of us, and that is to live our life with integrity and without envy, hate, or greed, and not to worry about the other guys or, or what's happening or what bad thing this guy did and how lousy that president was, and just worry about yourself and your family and express your love to your family. It doesn't and that doesn't mean Love you as you're heading out the door. It means taking your family in your arms, looking deep into their eyes, and telling them how much you love them. That's all you got to do. It's pretty simple.
0: Why do you say it's a war-based planet?
1: Because it is. If there isn't a war, we'll create one. Uh, When you say the
0: we, it's the people in charge. It's not we, the population. No, no. It's the people
1: in charge. Vietnam was a complete hoax from the beginning. It was to distract us from the alien problem. And we fabricated the uh, Gulf of Tonkin incident, and we kept that war going until 1973 and 1975. Then we had the Panamanian War, the war in Panama, and then we had Grenada, and uh, we were looking for somebody we could fight forever. So one of the guys came up with a real bright idea. Well, Well, why don't we make the Muslims the enemy? There's over a billion of them. We could make a war on terror and fight them for the rest of our lives, so they decided to make the Muslims the bad guys, and they said that there was nineteen Muslim Arab hijackers that crashed their planes into the World Trade Center because they hated our freedom. Well, no, that wasn 't it First of all, there was no crashes. second of all, it had nothing to do with Muslims; it was just creating the fabricated war on terror. So that we could get more weapons, more powerful weapons, and use these weapons for whatever, to reduce the population or or whatever they decided to use them for.
0: Why don't the aliens intervene in the warlike activities on this plane? And particularly, I looked at a map the other day of the number of nuclear sites in America. Forget the rest of the world. Just looking at America, it was frightening. If there is, quote, an enemy, if there is a group that wants to hurt us, we're very vulnerable. We're very vulnerable with all of those nuclear sites.
1: I don't think they'll get away with the mass killing of billions of people. It just won't happen.
0: But why do you say that with such surety?
1: Because where are the aliens going to put all the souls? I mean, we're here to mature our souls. So they're not going to let people destroy it. The planet while they're doing their best to get all these new souls matured. But they're not going to let anybody destroy all. And, and by destroying, I mean destroy their meat sack, which is what we call our human costume, uh, which is just a container for the soul.
0: When you speak about the aliens, you speak with some reverence in your voice. Am I correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, they're uh, the grays are just glorified cybernetic organisms. And their job is to be sure that mankind is lube and oiled, everything's going okay, we're picked up once when we're three years old, once when we're seven years old, and once when we're 13 years old. And these are just normal checks. They take us to the moon into those underground facilities, check to see that everything's okay, and then bring us back. And that happens to every single human being. Nobody is exempt from that. And the whole thing... Uh, leaving your bedroom, going to the moon and coming back takes less than an hour. So they do that, but they're just working for somebody else. The people above them and maybe the people above them are the ones that actually made the soul and put the grays in charge of the containers that contain the soul to be sure that we live as long as we're supposed to and die when we're, when we're supposed to. All these stories you hear about abductions and the anal probes and everything, that's all baloney. Those are screen memories because they don't want us to remember exactly what happened. Wait, so, go back
0: a little bit slower. I know you're going to get rolling on this. What do you mean it hasn't happened?
1: Uh, the bad things memories? that aliens do. Those are screen memories. I'm talking specifically about the greys. And these abduction stories, horror stories are screen memories because they don't want you to remember where you went or what you did. Why? Because it's, it really has nothing to do with the maturing of the soul.
0: Well, then why are we there? Why are we brought there?
1: Oh, well, they just do checkups to be sure the arms and legs work and we're thinking the way they want us to think. And, you know, there's many things that they have to do with, the, you know, to do with the brain and, and the way we're programmed and everything in order for the soul to mature. So I don't know what they do there.
0: So, for example, the Betty and Barney Hill story captured, are you saying that their reports of what happened to them with clear consciousness are not real?
1: Could have been a screen memory, yeah.
0: Like implanted memory kind of thing?
1: No, they just... I don't know what you mean by screen memory. Screen memory is is a memory that the aliens put in your... Well, not the aliens. The U.S. government does that too. They put in a memory over what you actually experienced... So that when you try to remember, you remember just the screen memory. What it does Like a filter? And, yeah, it doesn't allow you to recall what really happened. When you try to recall something, you just remember the memory that they put in your mind.
0: Then why do you think people are so emotional about it and crying and hysterical?
1: So that they don't remember.
0: When you talked during one of the interviews we did about Bob Lazar. Lazar, yeah. When he used to work at Area 51. Right. And how one of the reasons that he left is that when he would go in, he was given some type of liquid. And then I think before he would leave at the end of the day, he was given some liquid. And everything he did during the day, he couldn't remember. Was that correct? Um, He said something like that. He was only given the
1: liquid once. And that's when he first went to work. And they gave him his pine-smelling fluid. And he describes it as he was sitting in a, a lounge chair And he felt that he was in a well. His arms were about 20 feet long and his fingers were barely grasping (laughs) on the side of the well to try and keep himself from falling into it. And that was pretty scary. But whatever it was didn't work for the first several months because when he came back from S4, he would tell us all the cool stuff that went on. But the last two trips he made up there... He could remember getting on the Boeing 737 here at McCarran, and he could remember getting off, but he couldn't remember anything in between. And he didn't want to work in a program that he couldn't remember what he did. So they've advanced mind control to the point where you can work all day on a secret program and won't remember it when you get home. Now, they could always do that, but they had problems with that because people would know something happened and they would drive themselves nuts trying to remember. But they've got it refined to the point now that, that when the guy gets off the airplane, he doesn't remember what he did and he doesn't care. So,
0: Why do you think there's so many animal abductions, cow abductions? Don't know. That's very strange. Yeah. Do you have any sense of what that's about? No, don't. And was there ever a time where you were concerned about these abductions?
1: Animal abductions?
0: People abductions. Mm -hmm. I realize that right now you're saying, look, I think this is simply screen memory. I don't think this actually happened. I don't think that this happens.
1: At very first, when I wrote the John Lear hypothesis, I said that the Greys were here because their civilization was on the backside of a bell-shaped curve. And they needed help to keep their species going. Well, what it turned out is that's what the government is trying to tell us. That's the way they're trying to spin it. But that's not the truth at all. The truth is that the graves are here to be sure that us meat sacks with our souls are maturing like we're supposed to but the government has gotten itself into a problem where they thought the greys and still think the greys are the enemy that's the whole reason for these 24 orbiting satellites they thought they were going to be able to keep the greys from coming here but the greys are millions of years advanced in us and there's no way we could stop them and there's no way why we should stop them but in fact they thought they could do that and and as late as 1989 when bob the some of the last times he went to s4 he told me that he saw a message to allegedly sent to the owners of the grays that said either you help us get rid of the grays or nobody's going to have earth so the first question i had for bob i said well if that message travels at the speed of light. Oh, and then we discussed how far away the owners of the grays were, and he said over 2,000 light years. So I said, well, isn't that going to take 4,000 years to get a message back? And he said, no. He said they have what they call a gravity phone, and the gravity wave is instantaneous. And so if you hook a phone to the gravity wave, you can instantaneously talk to somebody who's 2,000 light years away. My next question was, what do they mean nobody's going to have Earth? And he said, well, they've they built a weapon that can destroy half the continent of South America with just one bomb. So who I don't
0: does? Know
1: who who has this? We do. We have it. The U.S. government. He didn't say they were, but he just assumed that the threat was that nobody's going to have Earth. The people that run the government were going to unilaterally make a decision to the planet suicide.
0: That's really scary. So what do you think of the MyLab abductions?
1: Well, the joke is there's there's plenty of military abductions going on because anything that one branch of the service has, the other gets to have it. So we have the Air Force, the Navy, and the Army all have their own saucers and abduction programs. They're called MyLab military abductions.
0: And what's the point of them?
1: whatever they do they take us up and explore our minds and do this and do that but the joke is how can you tell if you're being abducted by the military or an alien and the answer is it's not alien if there's a non-com in the back sipping coffee
0: (laughs) that sounds about right
1: yeah Yeah, there's going to be somebody sipping coffee while all this guy. They dress up in uniforms, alien uniforms, and make them look real scary. And you're under some form of drugs that they do. And so, you know, it looks just like an alien abduction. But it's not if you see a non-com sipping coffee in the background.
0: So you're not really concerned at all about any takeover from an extraterrestrial race because they're already here and they've been here forever.
1: They wouldn't want to take us over. There's no reason to take us over. They put us here. Well, they're not going to put us here and then take us over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't give us back. What do you think about disclosure? And what do you think of Stephen Greer and his work with disclosure? Do you have thoughts about that? Or
1: Well, I'll just tell you about disclosure. It's not going to happen for between 60 and 80 years. Full disclosure, there's no reason for it. The reason people are pushing for it now or a small group of people is they feel that now that they know that saucers are real, they want to tell everybody. But there's no reason that everybody should know. And it would cause a lot of disruption around the world if they did. So, first of all, when you say disclosure, what would the government disclose? Would they say Roswell was real after they've been telling us for years it's not? You're not going to back the government into a lie. It's just not going to happen. So... If there is a disclosure in the next few years, you can be sure that it will not be anything real. It'll be a a fantasy story.
0: What do you think of Warner Von Braun's deathbed plea to Dr. Carol Rosen about what's going to happen and what's going to be staged with respect to aliens?
1: It looks like it's coming true.
0: Well, let's talk about what it is. You know what it is, right?
1: Yeah. Talk about uh, it. There was four stages.
0: I don't know about the four stages. I just know that what Carol talked about was that he had pleaded with her that they're going to create through holographic technology, alien beings and ships and everything right. to scare the, the hell stage. out of the population for purposes of weaponizing. Yeah. Talk that about was that. The four,
1: that was the four stage. So they already have done that. And uh, they've already created the weapons. They already have the holographic images So all we're waiting for is the alien threat. And so we have all this planet Nibiru and planet X and all that baloney going on that in 2012, these aliens are supposedly going to show up and tell us what to do, which will probably be to turn all our weapons in or, or whatever the government feels like we should be doing. But it's all just a hoax. They'll be using holographic images. It's not real.
0: I know you said that, you don't see disclosure happening for 60 to 80 years right. because it really has to do with the readiness of the civilization. Right. And that's going to be timed based on the extraterrestrial game plan and not ours. Right. And therefore, what do you think of Stephen Greer's work of at least bringing military people forward so that there is cognition on behalf of the masses that it exists?
1: All the guys that are coming forward only have incidents radar incidents or they saw a vehicle or they saw a saucer right none of them have real ironclad stories like i got in this flying saucer and you know went somewhere and our military runs it that's never happened there's no been no disclosure like that
0: but don't you think that what they are sharing though is still very substantial in and of itself?
1: It's, you know, a lot more than we had 40 years ago, but it's nowhere near what the real disclosure will be.
0: How do you see the world changing upon the disclosure happening, being timed right and it happens? What do you see happening from that point?
1: It'll be like nothing ever happened. People won't even notice it, because saucer sightings will then be so common that nobody will even give it a second thought. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, they've been here a long time so. There's not going to be an announcement like, today I'm going (laughs) to announce the presence of aliens on Earth and bring out an alien. It's not going to happen like
0: that. Do you think that we're going to walk around with them? We will see them. Aside from in ships, you and I may be gone, but...
1: No, you can go right down to the mall now and see one.
0: Right down to the mall? Right. Then, you mean, not now. Right now. Right now? Right
1: now, you can go right down to the mall... All those people milling around at the Caesars Forum or any of those, just look for somebody who looks (laughs) just a little bit weird. Maybe their (laughs) eyes just wrap around their head just a little bit different, and then in your mind say, don't say it out loud, but say, I know you're an alien, and you'll watch them turn around like that. Come on. No. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. You can do that right now. I mean, I have many friends that have done that. Are you an alien? (laughs)
0: you're scaring me ladies and gentlemen i did think i was talking with john lear and now i don't know for sure do you think we're going to see them in a different form than us 60 years from now eventually we'll see now what's going to happen to religion and what's going to happen to what we view as being sacred
1: well that's one of the problems is because Religion was put here on earth to give us rules and regulations to live by so that we wouldn't hurt ourselves while our soul was maturing. But that's just because we are unable to understand the big picture. We've got to have a God and his son, Jesus, and he died to save our souls and uh, that kind of malarkey.
0: Have you ever been religious as a younger person?
1: I was brought up in Christian science.
0: And, okay. Okay. Uh, Mary
1: Baker Eddy? Mary, Mary Baker Eddy. It was interesting. He had a lot of good things to say, as most religions do. But once you realize the big picture, there's nothing like that. I mean, people say, revere Jesus and the Virgin Mary. But that's common with hundreds of religions throughout humanity. And it's all the same. The Son of God, the Virgin birth, the manger in the stable, and the, and the star in the east. All religions have that. Same story. It's not just Christianity. Do
0: you think that there were beings, though, that had tremendous gifts that were born, that were kind of ascended, had mastery, and were able to perform miracles throughout time?
1: I doubt. I don't think so. You don't? Uh, The Old Testament, there's no mention of Jesus. Right. Uh, And in the New Testament, it was just either Paul or Saul that made him up and started the story of Jesus, which, which is not true. It has some good things to say, but that's for the people who need something like that, that need to go on Sunday morning and need forgiveness and something to believe in. Eventually, people will just not need religion anymore and there'll be no more churches. And
0: Don't you think that a lot of people are going to be very unsettled and very upset and uh, very maybe. torn apart?
1: Because it'll happen very gradually over the next 60 to 80 years.
0: Do you believe in time travel?
1: Time travel is true. You can go forward in time and backward in time. There's different ways to do it, depending like on. Like remote the- viewing? Yeah. Life, you and me sitting in this den here on Earth, is not real. It's an illusion so that we have a place to mature our souls. And going back and forth in time is just going back and forth in this illusion. Time is just something for humans to experience so that we, as we progress and our souls mature, that we have uh, time to relate to.
0: A way to organize our day? Yeah, a
1: way to organize our day. But when you leave Earth and you've finished your program of learning to live with integrity and without envy, hate, or greed... There is no time. It's infinite. The universe is infinite. Your soul is infinite. And your soul will continue to progress. Each time you die, you'll go to a higher level.
0: Why do you think it is that the Stargate program closed? Do you think that it ever opened, the remote viewing program?
1: Programs close like that when they want to make it black. So they took all the guys that were in that program and said we're closing it down and they started a new one up with all brand new guys. So there's absolutely no connection between the new guys and the old guys. So the guys that were originally in it say, yeah, they shut it down. I you know nobody I know I ever heard a thing about anything, any new program. And they wouldn't because it's all black. But, but they could
0: find out given their expertise. No. I mean, Lynn Buchanan, Joe, and Paul Smith, they could certainly find out with their skills if there's still a program. They, they might, wanted to. They, they might may not be, be motivated to, to but yeah. they could. What do you think about the fact that you can go back in time and now we have evidence of that and you can go into the past and locate data in emotion and what was going on at that time. There must be some type of recording data, some type of recording tape, if you will, of everything we think, say, and do and every experience that's going on somewhere in the universe. What do you think? Otherwise, that couldn't happen, right? Right.
1: Remember, you got to separate the universe and its infinite manifestation with what's going on on Earth. This is just a a little thing going on here where our souls mature. You can go back in time, but you can't change, you can't affect time. If you go back and kill your father, that will start a new timeline because if you kill your father, you're still going to be here. But you can start another timeline with your father dead and that will just be a separate timeline.
0: I'm a little confused. You're If you go back
1: and kill your father.
0: Using remote viewing, you go
1: back. Well, now that's different. In remote viewing, you can look back in time. I thought you were talking about actually physically going back in time. No. Oh, remote viewing. Yeah, you can do that. You can go backwards, forwards in time, sideways, anywhere. That's really interesting. And I think that what they're doing is they're accessing the gravity wave because gravity is instantaneous throughout the universe. I mean, it's it's infinite and a, a infinite speed. Like
0: a super cosmic hard drive, if yeah, you will? Yeah,
1: but, but, you know, instantaneous. That's what remote viewing is all about. I think they're accessing the gravity wave.
0: You took remote viewing, didn't you? Didn't you go to a class?
1: Yeah, I went to uh, Angela Smith Davis' class. I think it was in 2006, and it was just extremely interesting, and I really enjoyed the class. Are there certain
0: things that you want to do? No, or...
1: I wish I had time to pursue it, but I've just got too much to do, so... If I need to know something, I just pay somebody to do the remote viewing for me.
0: And you've read some books by Joseph Montagle?
1: Joe McMonagle, Joe McMonagle. was one of the remote viewers in the Stargate program. Or they didn't call it Stargate. They called it something else, Or whatever it was called. And uh, he wrote a book called Mind Trek. And it was extremely interesting. And in one part of the book, he's given a set of coordinates to view. And at one of the coordinates, he sees a huge tower... In one of the coordinates, he sees a runway. In one of the coordinates, he sees something else, but it didn't match with the Earth coordinates because he knew where the Atlantic Ocean, where the Pacific Ocean was, where South America was, Africa, and none of these coordinates lined up. But he reported faithfully where he was, what he could see. And so at the end, in the review program of his remote viewing, they told him it was Mars. And when I read the book... Every single one of those places were in a packet of photos I had in a drawer. And it was just so weird because those photos were sent to me. I forget who did them. And there was nine places, and I had those exact photos that he talked about in the book. And uh, it was pretty interesting. But he saw something like the Washington Monument and something, and all these places were coordinates on Mars. But he wasn't told that. How oh, interesting.
0: So there's really nothing that can't be known. Right. Do you think that ideas just come to people? Or do you think that ideas are sent to certain They're people? They're
1: all sent to people. We have invented nothing ourselves. People like Edison and all the great inventors, all that has been sent down to us. We didn't think that up ourselves.
0: It's almost like the poets talk about how the poem comes to them. They don't right. create the poem like that. Right. where do you think creativity comes from? Why are some people more creative than other people? Where does it come from? I don't know. You ever been interested in that?
1: Creativity like what? What do you mean?
0: How come some people are much more creative than other people? Why do some people have more
1: creative capacity? I don't know, that's above my grade level.
0: (laughs) You've migrated from country to country. I just learned this the other day. You've actually migrated with your wife to different places at different times in your life.
1: Yeah, we've made 34 major moves and I've lived all over. I lived in Lebanon for a year and and Cyprus for a while. And then we lived in Laos for a year, Cambodia for a year. We lived in Egypt for two years. We've been all over.
0: Now, was this when you were flying? Yeah. Were there any places that you lived that was difficult for you? Or you had Not specific challenges?
1: Not for me, because I had my flying to do. That was all I was interested in, but it was very difficult for Marilee. Every place we went was a challenge, but she was up to the challenge, except that uh, when we got to Egypt, after two years, she was done with moving. So I promised her that when I finished my tour duty, that I would go back to Las Vegas where we had our house, buy her the house of her dreams, and go to work for a regular stateside passenger or Cargo Airline, which I did. We had a lot of fun, but the rest of my career was just flying for charter and cargo airplanes, not the real challenging stuff, running guns and all that.
0: Do you believe in true love? Of course. You've been married a long time. You've been together a long time.
1: Yeah, May 22nd will be 40 years. Congratulations. And I, knew, I knew Marilee two years before that. So she's my soulmate and my partner, and we've gone through a lot together.
0: She really understands you, doesn't she? Yeah. It makes a big difference in how you live, even if you're in totally different professions. Right. Has it been interesting to be married to somebody who's involved in entertainment and in a different aspect of your focus?
1: You know, I never got involved in her business. She did a lot of casting with major stars and everything, but I was busy flying and I I just, it didn't, didn't interest me. I didn't, you know, ask to meet any of the people or go on the set or anything like that. It was just, you know, I had other things to do.
0: When you started to develop your knowledge and your experience about what's going on in the world and what we're here for and a lot of the things that you've talked about, were you excited to share it with her? With her? Yes. Did you have a lot of occasion to share it with her? Was she as interested? No,
1: she wasn't interested. She didn't want to hear it Mm because it was too far out. So we got into several major problems with that over the years, but she's come to accept it mainly because she interviewed hundreds of people for jobs And without exception, everybody that sat in front of her for an interview for a particular job, they would say, well, you aren't related to John Lear, are you? (laughs) (laughs) It would drive her nuts. (laughs) So she got used to it that, yeah, maybe I had something that people wanted to hear.
0: I think there's a protection in there too whereas sometimes your partner's not necessarily supposed to be involved or to be knowing the detail or to be resonating exactly where you are although sometimes it can be lonely
1: yeah that's exactly it when I needed help it was provided in the respect that in 1987 she was really upset with the lectures I was giving she took away my phone and that didn't take away the phone she changed the number took all my UFO files and hid them. And I was on a trip with American Trans Air over in Germany. And I called home to check on how things were going on. And she says, well, I saw one, but I still don't believe it. And what had happened is it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and she was out there with my daughter Jackie, who was then about (laughs) 11 years old. And two saucers came from behind Frenchman Mountain and just went along the edge there and then went behind. And so it was a clear day. It was a daylight sighting, clear as a bell. Both of them saw it. So she couldn't deny it after that. So she had a little bit more tolerance for what I was talking about.
0: That's really profound.
1: Now, I would like to see one in the daytime, which I never have. But for some reason, she was shown that, and it was probably to get her to calm down a little bit. <laughs>
0: Do you think that children that are being born today, they are going to be the recipients, really, of it being commonplace?
1: Of course. That they're here. That's the way it happens. That's the way science develops or runs forward. It's not getting the older scientists to accept it. It's only by then the older scientists dying off and the new scientists coming up the ranks are familiar with the new ideas. And that's how science progresses. It's not taking the the old science and trying to teach them because it's a they don't want to hear game. it. It's yeah. a waiting game. They don't want to hear it.
0: Some people, have you ever heard of Ray Kurzweil? Yeah. No. Who wrote The Singularity is Near? He suggests, and he's one of the revered inventors of the world, he's also a futurist, and he says that within 25 to 30 years that we will be merged with artificial intelligence, that we will be part artificial intelligence, both the medical science side of it We will have little micronized robots in us. They already have that for Parkinson's today. We will be able to live in 3D. There's all kinds of things he lays out. It scares me a bit. Do you think that we will evolve or be allowed to evolve into that direction totally, where we're merged
1: in almost machines? Probably not. I don't think that'll happen.
0: You don't think that part will happen? No. What's your take on what consciousness is?
1: Consciousness is the voice that our soul has. In other words, we have a soul within us that's ours from the beginning, whether our beginning was 10 years ago or a million years ago, and it will be with us forever. There's no end to a soul. It goes on and on. There's no such thing as the death of a soul. It just goes on forever. So whatever you say, think, do is a manifestation of your soul. Do
0: you think consciousness lives outside of your soul?
1: Your consciousness is not separate from your soul.
0: So, there are people that come into their life and it appears that they have an evolved consciousness. They're already in the realm of living without envy, hate, or greed. And I've seen very young souls already in this place. Right. And I've seen people that are older in age that seemingly you would think would come to a peace, but they're not there. Mm-hmm. So,. Maybe a matured soul does have evolved consciousness, and that's one and the same. Right.
1: That's the manifestation of your soul. It's either young or old or however.
0: So what would you like to have happen before the end of your life? Are there some things that you're comfortable to share with us?
1: I'd like a uh, full box of real Cohiba Esplendados from Cuba. <laughs> I'd like to be able to afford another bottle of Louis the Thirteenth Cognac. How much is that? Uh, a couple thousand bucks. That's the old bottle I have right up
0: okay. there.
1: But other than that, I can't think of anything else.
0: Is there any place you'd like to see or go or do? No. What about a movie being done about you, your journeys? Is that important to you that that gets done no. before you pass? Uh-uh. No.
1: Like a book is just a pain in the ass because you have to go out and promote it.
0: What if you don't?
1: What if you don't promote it?
0: What if you don't have to promote it? Do you want to have your book done?
1: It just happens that my daughter is writing it. So I will have to support her, which means I'll have to go out and do the interviews because she's doing such a good job.
0: Well, maybe they'll all come to you.
1: No, you have to go out and promote it or it won't sell.
0: I see. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, learning from, and listening to John Lear live at his home in Nevada and it has been a pleasure, and thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank it's you. It's rainmaking time.
1: Thank you.